You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 27. I, I, I hope I, that we're going to be out of this by next Sunday. I, I really meant for it to be one message and it just, just turned into four or five, but it, the, the text is just so good. We're going to be reading through Jeremiah 27 through 29, a, a little less scripture than we read last week, just so I can catch everybody up to speed. It may seem odd to start off the new year by reminding us all of a, of, that a fearful forecast is coming. It's not like I want to, you know, sit around and say, hey, it's going to rain, it's going to rain, it's going to rain, you know. I think we're all sick of the rain, you know. <laughs> but surely we've lived uh, long enough to know that bad things are coming. Some are the results uh, of our own personal sins. Some are the results of uh, living in a fallen world. Some are necessary for our uh, spiritual maturity. And some are judgments from God against the sins of our nation and our nation's leaders and our laws. But suffering is simply unavoidable. This past week, uh, I read a really sweet article that was posted on Facebook by dear a uh, church member of ours, J.R. Doyle. Y'all, many of y'all know J.R. and Edie. Uh, on this exact day, and by the way, J.R., um, y'all know him as a very loud and loving people person, right? <laughs> if you know J.R., he's loud and happy. But what you may not know about J.R. is that on this day in 2011, January 28th, he laid to rest a two-month-old daughter named Faith Christian Doyle. And I asked him if I could share this today. Because, you know, so many times we think of suffering as something that's over there. You know, it's not here. But he's just one example of many people in this church that have, have loved and lost. He's a happy man, but he's also loved and lost. And some of you have been the same way. You've lost people to death. You've lost people to unwanted divorce. You've lost uh, people to a host of things. You know, maybe friction in the family. And so I, I, I'm, the reason we're starting out this new year with, with this is because it's the reality of life. And we don't want to like smooth things over in the family of God like we're just all happy, perfect people and smile and ting and everything's perfect like some insurance commercial, all right? This is real life. And there's real hurt and pain that we're going to have to endure. There's a line in a song I heard this week that says, grief is only love that's got no place to go. (laughs) But for Christians, we do have a place for it. (laughs) We don't grieve like others do. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 says, we don't want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So we do have a place to put our grief, all right? Uh, These scriptures that God's preserved for us through all of the millennia of time and space are still here speaking into the stark realities of our lives. God's word has so much to say about how to remain faithful in the midst of a fearful, frightful, inevitable, unavoidable forecast. And so I believe some of the answers are found in this four-part story in Jeremiah 27 through 29. So let's 
peruse through here and catch us all up together for those that may have missed a Sunday here and there. This is Jeremiah 27, verse 1. We're just going to read the first two verses there and cruise through. The scriptures will be on the screen if you need it. Uh, Part 1, Jeremiah 27, verse 1. These are the words of God. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. So, you know, the yoke bar was what was used to pull a cart and things like that. And it basically was a visible symbol of Jeremiah's message that God has given people God's people into the hands of wicked Babylon to bear the yoke of exile. And if they will bear it, they'll be fine. And if they don't bear it, they'll be destroyed. It's plain and simple. Jeremiah 28, verse 2, part 2. This is in that same year. Hananiah, different prophet, says in verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I'll bring back to this place all the vessels of the house of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I'll also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Jeremiah says, well, hallelujah, amen. I hope so, buddy. But it's not what the predecessors before us said. But I hope it happens. And matter of fact, if it comes true in two years, well, we'll know you were telling the truth, right? Well, sometime after that, God had a message to deliver to prosperity prophet Hananiah through the lips of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 28, verse 15. This is part three. And Jeremiah, the prophet, said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord hasn't sent you, and you've made this people trust in a lie. Hey, church, let me pause there. That's exactly what prosperity preachers do when they tell you everything's glitz and wonder and you can just put the words blessed on the back of your Mercedes. All right? It's not like that in reality. We will suffer. We're we're called actually as Christians to suffer. It doesn't mean we can't have a joyful life, but we're going to have it if we do have it in the midst of a painful, sinful world. Verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you've uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Fast forward, Jeremiah 29, verse 5. This is part 4. And here's where we see Jeremiah sends letters to all those in exile in Babylon. And he he says to them in verse 5, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Don't sit in your houses and be all like, woe is me, everything's bad, gloom and doom, Eeyore, oh bother. Right, y'all know anybody that's an Eeyore? If they're sitting next to you, you don't have to raise your hand, but everybody's got an Eeyore, Right? But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you're going to find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, don't let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and don't listen to the dreams that they dream for it's a lie they're prophesying to you in my name. I didn't send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And here's the thing about this next verse. We love this verse. How many times have we quoted this verse in churches? And we don't even know the context of the church. Of this, these verses, the context of these next verses are in slavery. All right, here's the verse. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. May God bless the reading of his word. Jonathan Crittenden in the, in the bulletin there, he was supposed to pray, but he got called into work. So I've asked Clay Younts to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. Clay, thank you, brother. Let us pray. Father, may we be still this morning. May we know that you are God the God who is faithful and just, the one who loves us, the one who has given us eternal life through, the, through, his, through your grace, through Christ, we can live. So this morning, Father, may we lay aside our thoughts of lunch, our thoughts of watching ball games, thoughts of uh, the struggles of life and this coming week. And may we hear the truth this morning. Open eyes who do not see, hearts that have been hardened, may they be softened this morning. May people leave here this this day changed, seeking you more and more, loving you more and more. And so, Father, I pray for that you will hide him as he brings us the truth. For the truth is where uh, what we need, and so we. Thank you for this time, and we lift it up in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Clay. If y'all don't know Clay, that brother right there, he served the Lord relentlessly. He was actually a pastor for over 26 years, and uh, so we're blessed to have men like him in our church. Thankful for you, brother. Well, I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of bad news. (laughs) And, And I'm not just sick and tired of bad news. I'm sick and tired of the way I handle it. Are you mad about how you handle it? Are you, are you mad about being mad? Right? Right? I think a lot of us are. I know I am. And I want something to change, right? And that's why I believe one of the best ways for us to start 2024 is to better prepare ourselves to be faithful in a frightful forecast. So for the last three weeks, just in way of review, we've covered silver lining number one, God's ways are right. We mentioned two things there, that his decisions are higher than our understanding and that his uh, decisions are just in ways we may not see. He will avenge himself and he will avenge you, so don't worry. Silver lining number one, God's ways are right. Silver lining number two, God's timing is perfect. Some of Hananiah's prophecies were eventually going to come true right? Just not in Hananiah's timing. And lots of people uh, have speculated on the timing of Christ's return and the timing of relief. But Hananiah, I believe, incited the judgment of God because he attempted to dictate to God when something was going to happen. And that's a blatant, that's blatant arrogance. You don't tell God when he's going to do something. You ask him. James 4.13 basically says, don't even go to work tomorrow. Don't even say I'm going to go to work tomorrow without following it up with the Lord willing. We don't even know if we're gonna wake up from sleep tonight. And so we say, God, Lord willing, I'm gonna get up and do this or that, you know? So we we said two things about this second silver lining. Number one, God's timing is often concealed. 
right? We don't always know it. That's the very definition of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith is the conviction of things not seen. Just like Corrie Tim Boom's, that illustration I shared last week, trusting her father with the weight of that suitcase. And we need to trust our heavenly father with the weight of our tough questions. We can trust our future to God's hands. He's not time blind, right? He's the time creator, and he knows just what time is perfect for you. Uh, secondly, God's timing is part of the cure, right? If you're pestering God, complaining to God, whining to God, while he's literally in the act of helping us behind the scenes, it's counterintuitive. We need to guard ourselves about an attitude of selfishness or impatience or uh, being spoiled or too oblivious to see what God's doing behind the scenes, right? The cure is in the timing. The cure is in knowing we're immortal, all right? Time is an herb that cures most ills, and God's not missing, he's not going to miss picking you up on time at the bus stop, all right? It's not running late. Last night, I went on a date with my wife and some others, and uh, we went to one restaurant, and it was too full, two and a half hour wait. And I had to go to another one, walked over to another one, and it was an hour wait, you know, but it's not, it's not how it is with God. He's not backed up, right? He's not getting around to you. He knows exactly where you need to be, and he's working to get you where you need to be. Silver lining number three. And by the way, this year, we need a win. You know how you get a win, W-I-N? By trusting God with your win, W-H-E-N. Trust God with your win, all right? Just something to put in your back pocket for this year, right? The win is his. He gets the win, W-H-E-M, and hopefully the Chiefs this afternoon. But anyway, silver lining number three. Silver lining number three. God's word is certain. And uh, Clay couldn't pray to better prayer. I, there's two challenges here. Number one, we must believe the spoken, inspired, and written words of God. Now here's the catch. Jeremiah 27 verse 1 says, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, to, said to me. That's Jeremiah speaking. Well, just jump forward a chapter, Jeremiah 28 verse 2. Hananiah said the same thing. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. So how do we know what is the true word of God? We may believe God's word is certain, but how... How are we certain about what is God's word, right? One way we saw this last week was when Hananiah died, right? Jeremiah prophesied it, it happened, so it must be true. So God's word is proven not just by that, but in a multitude of ways. And I could spend a year of Sundays dumping facts uh, on us from biology and geology and geography and astronomy and a paleography, which is the study of old texts, cause and effect, miracles, historical facts, probabilities, I mean, on and on. Matter of fact, we spent a, a decent amount of time talking through some of that on Wednesday nights. But just with the Bible alone, I'm going to give you 10 quick reasons why it's reliable. All right. Number one, manuscript, manuscript evidence. There are more copies of biblical manuscripts with remarkable consistency between them that exist today than all of the other books in the world. They, the second place doesn't even compare. Right. And we're talking about classics like Plato and Aristotle, Socrates, Homer's Iliad and things like that. F.F. Bruce, in, his, in a book titled The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable?, said there is no body of ancient literature in the world which enjoys such a wealth of good textual attestation as the New Testament. 
Number two, archaeological evidence over and over. Uh, discoveries verify the accuracy of the historical and cultural references in the Bible. Listen, every year of my life that I've been born, they found new things that they said didn't exist. And then they find an, an inscription of Nebuchadnezzar, inscriptions of all these things that verify the, the Bible. Not that we need it to, but it does. Number three, eyewitness accounts. The Bible was written by eyewitnesses, uh, people who experienced the things they're talking about firsthand, many of who were persecuted or even martyred, but never changed their story. Would you die for something that you knew was a lie? Would you die for a lie? No. John Calvin said in his Institutes of Christian Religion, it is no moderate approbation or approval of Scripture that it's been sealed by the blood of so many witnesses, especially when we reflect that they died to render testimony to the faith with a firm and constant yet sober zeal toward God. Number four, corrobor corroborating accounts. Now there are plenty of references in non-biblical sources to the events described in the Bible. One of these would be Josephus. Uh, Josephus was a Jewish historian. He was born around AD uh, 37, and he has tons of writings that, that, that are from an outside source that verify the historicity of the things mentioned in the Bible. Number five, literary consistency. The Bible contains 66 books written over about 1,500 years by 40 different authors on multiple, in multiple locations, but it tells one story, right? How is that? How can so many books by so many authors in so many places over so much time tell one story? I tell you what, if, if I told Rodney, if I whispered a secret in his ear, by the time it got to Miss Betty, it'd be all out of sorts. You can't even get down one row in this church of gossip without it changing by the end of it, right? Somebody was sick on this end, but they done died and left a fortune <laughs> by the end, right? It's, it's just how things work. So how in the world did the Bible do this? I'll tell you why, because it had one author. It had one divine author inspired through men. Uh, and so praise God for it. So there's literary consistency. There's prophetic consistency. I've mentioned this just recently, that there's over 300 specific prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone in the New Testament. R.C. Sproul said in his work, now, that, now that's a good question, he said the very dimension of the sheer fulfillment of prophecy of the Old Te Testament scriptures should be enough to convince anyone that we're dealing with a supernatural piece of literature. God has himself planted within the scriptures an internal consistency that bears witness that this is his word. Number seven, expert scrutiny. The early church had extremely high standards for what books were to be judged deemable for the canon of scripture. The canon is a collection of books. That's what we call it, the canon of scripture. But for it to be put in there, it had to go through these rigorous uh, uh, tests, right? And I don't have time to go through those. If you want to know more about that, see me after the service. Number eight, leader acceptance. A majority of the greatest leaders and thinkers in history have affirmed the truth and impact of the Bible. Abraham Lincoln said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. But for it, we could not know right from wrong. That's the problem in our world today. We've lost our mooring of morality in Scripture. Number nine, global influence. The Bible has had a greater influence on the laws, art, ethics, music, and literature of world civilization than any other book in history. 
Craig L. Bloomberg in Christian Apologetics, A Comprehensive Case for Biblical Faith, said, Christianity as set forth in the Bible is responsible for a disproportionately large number of the humanitarian advances in the history of civilization, in education, in medicine, in law, in fine arts, and working for human rights and even in the natural sciences. Number 10. You, right? Changed lives. The words of the Bible have transformed lives unmistakably and forever. And we see, we see daily and weekly the testimonies of this in our own testimonies of how God's answering our prayers and speaking to us and comforting us in times of need. So God's word is certain. The evidence is simply overwhelming. We must believe the spoken, inspired, written word of God. But Sue Ann, that ain't enough. <laughs> it's not enough to believe it. Even the Bible says even the demons believe and tremble. There's more to belief in it. We must secondly pay attention to the spoken inspired written word of God. Long before Hananiah prophesied death, uh, his prophesied death came true long before that, which it, by the way, that alone proved God's word was b worth believing. But there were other um, a host of other proven prophecies that had already happened long before Jeremiah even. Matter of fact, after Hananiah, there are lots of other folks who falsely prophesied who were also proven wrong and judged. I just haven't had time to get to them yet. Jeremiah 29 verse 15, because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David and concerning all the people who dwell in the city, your kinsmen who did not uh, go out with you into exile, I told you what was going to happen. Verse 17, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they can't be eaten. I'll pursue them with the sword, famine, and pestilence, and will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I've driven them. So again, here in this text, God is warning them. He's telling them. All this bad stuff that's about to happen is because of one primary reason. Wouldn't you like to know if all kinds of bad stuff is happening to you? If, like, Lord, why? We ask God that a lot. Why? Why? What's happening? Here's, in this context, here's the reason. It's found in the very next verse, Jeremiah 29, 19. Because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord. My words, God's words, that I persistently sent to you, persistently sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But you would not listen, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. All you exiles whom I sent away from Babylon to, from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah in Babylon. The Lord, and here's the curse. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Because they have, they have done an outrageous thing in Israel. They've committed adultery with their neighbor's wives and they have spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. I am the one who knows and I am witness, declares the Lord. 
Yeah, he doesn't need your witness in court. He is the court and he's his own witness. Church, listen, our faith is never going to withstand a frightful forecast unless we pay attention to God's word. I'm not talking about just reading it. If, if you don't eat, by the way, if you don't eat, you die, right? I tell people all the time, you may not remember what you ate last year, but, you, but it got you here today. If you hadn't eaten, if you hadn't drank anything, you would die. That's just how it's, it is. We can't survive on one meal a week, we, much less a day. The nutritionists and dietitians say you're not even supposed to just have a meal a day. So how can we expect to stroll into church on a Sunday morning, suck up about 30 minutes of scripture and then go live, you know, live like hell the rest of the week, right? It's not going to work. That's why some of you are just shriveled up spiritually because you're not feasting on the word of God. You're not eating properly spiritually. We need to be feasting and we need to daily and applying it to our lives. If we're teaching our teenager how to change a tire, how many of you have been doing this? You've been teaching somebody something and you say, hey, are you, are you paying attention? Yeah, 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 I'm paying attention. All right, then you change it. Well, well what do I do first? I just told you what to do. Well, yeah. You weren't listening. Yeah, I was listening. No, if you were listening, you'd you'd know what to do. You'd know step one, but you're not paying attention. Anybody ever had that conversation? Right? No, I'm listening. I promise, Dad. I'm paying attention. No, you're not. Well, then change the tire. Right? Check your oil. Oh, where's that at? The only listen. The only reason God's word through Jeremiah withstood the flamboyant feel-good prophecy of Hananiah. Remember, he broke the yoke real in front of everybody. Woo, big, big preacher, you know, looked, looked cool. The only reason that God's word withstood that test while people were lying against it, saying it's not true, it's not true. People were actively lying against this text, saying it ain't gonna happen, it's not gonna happen, it's not gonna happen. This is gonna, the good's gonna happen, the good's gonna happen. The only reason it withstood the destructive sexual sins and the false prophecies of Ahab and Zedekiah, and the only reason it withstood the letters, I didn't even get to this part, at the end of Jeremiah 29, there's a guy named Shemaiah who writes wicked lying letters to all these people. It says, God didn't say this. This is, we need to put these guys, these old false prophets, Jeremiah's, go to prison. The only reason God's word stood the test of all that stuff is because it was the word of God. <laughs> His message is truth. His words never fail. He is without lies. And he does what he purposes to do, friend, with or without you on this planet. Isaiah 46 verse 9 remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose verse 11 calling a bird of prey from the east the man of my counsel from a far country I have spoken and I will bring it to pass I have purposed and I will do it. Well, let me show you something really cool as I kind of bring this, kind of start to land the plane, start our descent here. I want to fast forward to Daniel chapter 9. This is incredible. This is just almost 70 years later. All right. Jeremiah, I mean, Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Azurus, uh, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign. Here it is, verse 2, Daniel 9. I, Daniel, 
perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel knew 70 years was almost up. And how did he know it? Verse 2, he perceived it in the books. So I want you to wrap your mind around this. 2,500 years ago in Hebrew and Aramaic, Daniel perceived, he opened the same books that we just read this morning. Y'all understand that? And because he read it and paid attention to it, he did something. What did he do? Daniel 9 verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord. <laughs> Why? Because the preacher was just so wonderful. Because my small group lesson was so incredible. Boy, that illustration really hit home. No, because he read the word of God. He heard the word of God. I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned. We've done wrong and we've acted wickedly and we've rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Verse nine, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. Verse 12, he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. And then what happens in Daniel, uh, in, uh, Daniel 9 verse 16? He just bust out into prayer. Oh, Lord. O oh Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of, for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Man, I can relate to this. I mean, Memphis is like number one on the murder list. You know, Memphis in many ways is a byword. It's like Oakland, California. It's just a byword. It's like San Francisco. Verse 17, now therefore, O, o our, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant, to the pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you, Y'all, church, pay attention to this. You who don't like to pray because you're so unworthy, listen to this. We do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. <laughs> well, heck no. We ain't got none on our own apart from Jesus. But because of your great mercy. Why do we go boldly to the throne of grace? Because God is merciful. Amen. And he does not punish what we deserve to be punished with. He gives us what we do not deserve, which is grace and love and forgiveness when we come to him. And so we come to him based on his mercy. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. Listen to this. O Lord, pay attention and act. God has told his people to pay attention. Daniel's now paying attention and he's asking God, pay attention and act. It sounds almost arrogant and crazy, but I think he's doing it with a humble heart. Delay not for your own sake, 
Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So Jeremiah prophesied and at least four known world leaders, you know, or major leaders of the day, prophets falsely spoke against him and his message. And near the end of the 70 years, Daniel perceived in the books, he literally read the word of God. He found the Bible and opened it. And part of what he surely read would have been Jeremiah 29 verse 9. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And what does he do? Well, first look what he doesn't do. He doesn't complain. He doesn't declare his own innocence. Not once does he make excuses for the way things are. He said, look, Memphis and Carville and Bahalia and Fayette County, they are the way they are because of my sin and our sin. That's what he says, in effect. And then he began to obey. He began to pay attention to what he read. And when he read what he read, said, pray. And he did just that. He prayed. He obeyed. It does no good to know the veracity, the truthfulness, the reliability, uh, the trustworthiness of Scripture. It does no good to read it and memorize it if we don't pay attention to what it says. If God's Word doesn't affect our lives, we will lose faith in frightful forecast. God's ways are right. God's win is perfect. And friend, listen. His Word is certain. It will come to pass. And though we don't feel like we're proved right now, one day every knee will bow. And I don't think we're going to be prideful, arrogant Christians in that moment thinking, well, I told you so, I told you so. I don't think so. I think we'll be weeping for the lost in eternity. God's word is true. There is no tangible picture greater than the Bible itself except for you. <laughs> you are God's only hope for the world to hear the gospel. Did you know that? There's no backup plan. It's us and the word of God. And that's enough. Amen. The Holy Spirit working in us, making God's word come alive. And you who don't read God's word daily, I challenge you to just start. Start in the book of Mark. Start in uh, the book of John. You can come to my, you can see me right after the service. I'll give you a little Bible study guide that'll walk you right through a, the, the book of John. Just a simple way. The more you're in God's word, all these problems of your life, you know, they'll, they'll fade away. You're going to try to spin plates. They're going to all break. You know, you're going to compartmentalize your life, my family, my marriage, my job, my church, right? Sooner or la later, one of those plates is falling off and breaking or several. But if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, these things will be added to you. If you'll pursue him and his word, you're going to find yourself more patient. You're going to find yourself more joyful. You're going to find yourself more reasonable in hard situations. And you're going to be the one speaking wisdom in your family. You who had a quick temper, you who were always sad, you're going to change face because you're consumed. You're eating healthy and it's beginning to show. I was talking to somebody this week who's on a keto diet and they've lost 16 pounds. And it shows. I can tell that they've lost weight. And I'll be able to tell when you're, you can tell when you've been around people who are in the word. There's a, there's a countenance to them. There's a peace about them. There's a wisdom to them because they're, they're consumed with the truth of God's word. And I pray we would be a church that is the same. Would you stand? Father God, we love you and we praise you and we are all wicked. <laughs> there's nobody getting out of here that's righteous on our own. If we have any measure of righteousness or goodness or holiness, it's something you gave us. 
undeserved. Lord, I do thank you that you call on us to trust you and repent of our sins. Repentance just means to turn around from what we're trusting and trust in you for our salvation. It's not an old preacher word with his finger in your face. It's just an old word that, that, that farmers would, would give to their own oxen to turn the cart around. And so, Lord, we, we need to turn our carts around and hitch it to you. And so I pray we would do that in faith this morning. If, if there's anyone here that is not called on the name of Jesus, that they would call out to you in their hearts right now. You hear them. You promise to hear them. Your word is true. And we believe you. And so we don't come based on our own merit. We come based on the mercy of God. We base our whole lives on not getting what we deserve. You've taken it from us and you willingly, joyfully give it to us when we cry out to you in faith. So cry out to him now uh, if you don't know him. And he'll, he'll, he'll save you, he'll forgive you, and he'll give you a peace that you have never known before. It won't be without suffering, it won't be without pain, but it will be, you'll handle those things differently. I assure you of that. I can testify to that in my own life and in the life of these church members, God. And for those that don't have a church home that need to be plugged in, they want to be, they want to serve in some way that I don't know how, they want to volunteer and, and they're looking for a place to serve, I pray they would come and join our church and be part of this family of faith that we call Piperton. We love you and ask you to do all these things for your own name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.